Amen. Can we thank our worship team again? Thank you guys for leading us today. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful for the, not only the spirit with which Sean and, and the, uh, the Chris's and everybody, uh, Tori, is involved in leading us, Nick. Uh, thank you all for your spirit and the way you're leading us, but also the song selection has been phenomenal too. I mean, just so rich um, with truth and theology, and I think it's, uh, it's part of the Holy Spirit's um, leadership over this retreat uh, as he has been orchestrating events now and preparing us for this special moment. As we said yesterday, if you're open to hearing from God, I believe he'll speak to you. Uh, the Bible says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Um, he tells us over and over again that seek me and you'll find me when you seek after me with all of your heart, that there's, there's a special thing that happens whenever we get away. Um, one of the major aspects of Salem's uh, family ministry is an annual student retreat where we take our 6th to 12th graders away for four days, uh, make them put their phones in Ziploc bags, right, in a basket, and uh, we have fun. There's ropes courses, and there's pools, and there's, uh, you know, all kinds of fun stuff going on, uh, but multiple times a day, we get along with God. Multiple times a day, we come into worship. Multiple times a day, we dive into God's Word, and then without fail, every single year, uh, something powerful happens in the lives of our teenagers, and it's not just about students. I think it's the same for us. Uh, as well, men, as we get away from, from the hustle and the bustle, from the temptation, from the, from the distractions, from all the things that command our attention. Uh, it is really, really important for us to, to know um, that God meets with us and is eager to, to commune with us. You don't have to chase God down like he's ready to sit with you and to focus in on, uh, on, on showing you who he is and drawing you close to himself. And if we could d just put these away for a little bit this weekend, man, and just lean in and press in, I think uh, you will not regret it in the least. Uh, the messages this week are going to be more practical in nature. We're talking about manhood, we're talking about stages of manhood, and we're going to jump into that in just a moment. But understand that everything we're talking about in the messages is built on the foundation of what these songs are teaching us, right? They're, they're teaching us just exactly solid theology of the truth of God's Word and how uh, it's all and only for Jesus. I'm mindful of the progression of Ephesians 2. In verse number 1, the Apostle Paul writes, um, And you he has quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, wherein in time past we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past with the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as others. And the whole passage turns on these next two words. Listen, listen. But God. Do you hear that? We were children of wrath, just like everyone. But God. We, we were under condemnation. We were unable to do anything other than sin. Say it with me. But God, because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And hath raised us together, and has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his kindness and his grace toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Let me tell you, the grace of God was given to us, not just for us to receive it and to enjoy it, but the grace of God was given to us so that we might work, walk in the works that God has prepared for us to walk in. So these messages we have today, I I want you to know it's built on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we're trying to talk about in our messages for this weekend is what are those good works that God has prepared beforehand that you and I were to walk in it. If you're a father, God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in the good work of loving and leading your children well. If you're with me, say, "Uh uh-huh. If you're a husband, God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in a manner that is honoring and, and, and glorifying to him as we sacrificially lead and love our spouses. If you're an employee, God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in that job. If you are a grandfather or, or, or a, an uncle or, or, a, or a, a, a brother, God has prepared beforehand these realms and these spaces for us to be obedient and to walk faithfully. So be encouraged as we talk about this, as we move through this as well, that this is, these are the things that we believe and we embrace that God has allowed us to walk forward in. Now, over the next few sessions, we're going to talk about five stages of being a man, okay? Five stages. It starts with boyhood, and then it goes to adolescence, and then it goes to manhood, and then it goes to maturity, and then finally we'll talk about what it means to be a patriarch. So five stages of manhood. And as we talk about these next stages of of manhood, I want us to see them through multiple lenses, okay? So every man in this room used to be a boy. If you agree, say, "Uh uh-huh. We all used to be a boy. Okay, so as we talk about boyhood, remember back. Consider your own childhood. Remember the days and the stages and the things that you went through. And as you do, try to think about the, the, the stages and the things that you hear me talking about. Try to think of it through your own experience, your own lenses. Understand what, what, what ways God provided for you, uh, positive influences and good things. And then also be real about the fact, you know, I didn't have that. Or that was missing. Or I missed that opportunity, not in a way that we're going to obsess about it and say that our you know, whole life is due to the fact our you know, mother didn't hug us enough or whatever. But I'm talking about remember those days and be honest about them. As we go through adolescence, same thing. See it through the lenses of those stages of your own life. Uh, but also, if we're like my, myself, I'm a father. I have a boy at home right now that's a, a child. He's seven. And then I have a boy at home who's an adolescent. He's 12. And so as we look at this, I want us to also consider the role that we play in the lives of our own kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews, our neighborhood, anybody we have a relationship with, and let's see it through multiple lenses. So I love what Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, said about this topic. He said, it's better to build boys than to mend men. Let me say that again. It's better to build boys than to mend men. And he's absolutely right about that. In fact, I'll go so far as to say the vast majority of the world's problems are due to men that need mending. That's where we are today. It's men that need mending. And many of that was taking root in their days of childhood. I love the passage in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 11. I think we have it on the screen. Is it up? 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11. Let's all read this together out loud. One, two, three. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. The Apostle Paul is affirming stages of life. The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, said something similar when he was talking about for every uh, moment under the sun, there is a season. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And he affirmed the fact that there are different stages. A few things jump out at me about this. Number one is that there is nothing wrong with speaking, thinking, and reasoning like a child when you are a child. If you're with me, say amen. 
Childhood is a God-ordained season of life. And one of the greatest mistakes that men make is that we demand our children grow up before they're ready. We don't give them a childhood. We don't give them the chance to be this and experience this and go through this. We feel as though, no, 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 we've got to get on them and determine and discipline and all those kind of things. Now, I'm not opposed to any of those things at the appropriate time, but the Apostle Paul affirms the fact that childhood is a season of life ordained by God, and it's appropriate for children to act like children. So let's talk about boyhood for a season, for a, for a moment. Boyhood is a season of discovery. It's adventure, and it's incredibly rapid growth. During boyhood, boys need to try new things. They need to fail, right? They need to get bumps and bruises along the way. Let me just say a word parenthetically. The modern educational system is not set up for boys at all. It's just not, you know, and, I, and my kids are in school. I'm, don't tell me I'm telling you to yank them out and, you know, turn them into ignoramuses. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the educational system is built for sit down, be quiet, listen, and, uh, and test. And that's not necessarily the most effective way to educate all boys. Let me give you four fundamentals that every boy needs. Every boy needs these four things. If you're taking notes, it'd be a good thing to write down. Four fundamentals that every single boy needs. The first fundamental is a boy needs an understanding of character character. The word responsibility comes to mind. Dennis Rainey says that responsibility, just break it apart. What is responsibility? Responsibility is the ability to respond. That's what it is. Responsibility is the ability to respond rightly. To what? To authority and to a difficulty. See, a boy must realize that his life will be hammered out on the anvil of his own choices. And what needs to be explained to them is more just teaching, it must be modeled to them that, that a, a man can show him, listen, son, this, this is what it is to grow up. Here are areas in which you must mature. Here are things in, that you must know. Here's what it means to be a man of character. And uh, we, we're constantly in this conversation. My seven-year-old, a few years ago, we went down to his grandparents' house for, uh, for Christmas in Tennessee. And we were there, and they all got toys, and they all got gifts like they normally do. And uh, the seven-year-old, at that time he was more like five, uh, wanted to play with the 10-year-old's toy. And so when Eli, the 10-year-old, wasn't paying attention, the, the, the five-year-old grabbed it, you know, and started playing with it. And, and Eli was trying to be kind and gracious about it, but he was ready to have the toy back. So he went to his brother, said, let me have the toy back. And, and Charlie said no. And so Eli did the same thing Charlie did, which is waited till he put it down and then went and snatched it and grabbed it. And you, you understand with brothers, too, nothing makes a boy want something more than somebody else having it, right? It could have been laying there for hours, and he wouldn't care about it. But the moment his brother picks it up, I was playing with that. So that's what developed, that whole situation. Eli, the 10-year-old's playing with the toy. The 5-year-old wants it. I'm, I'm somewhere else at this time, and my wife is telling me about what happened, that Eli wouldn't give it away, and, and Charlie wanted it. And so Charlie, you know, waited for his opportunity, and Eli wasn't paying attention, and Charlie reared back and, bit. I mean, just hit him, just hauled off and smacked him one, you know? And Eli's like, what did you do? He goes and tells his mom. My wife comes in, sits him, sits him down. You can't do that, son. Why did you do that? And Charlie, you, you know, the guys that are with me know my son Charlie. He, he just will say whatever pops in his head. And he said to his mom, um, well, if he would have given me the toy, I wouldn't have had to hit him. <laughs> if he would have just forked it over, then none of this would have been necessary. You really need to be talking to him about his role in all of this. And, and my wife, I mean, she got on to him. She, I think she spanked him too. and was like, just like, listen, you, you can't do that. That's, that's inappropriate. And then I come home and, and my wife says, you got to talk to your son. Of course, when he screws up, he's my son. You know, it's not our son, it's my son, right? So 
I go in and talk to Charlie too. I say, what happened earlier? Tell me what happened. And he's like, well, you know, I was playing with a toy. I wanted the toy, da 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 and, and I said, well, why'd you hit him? And he doubled down. He said to me, well, if he'd have given me the toy, I wouldn't have had to hit him. You get it, Dad. You understand, you know. But he was like so adamant. He had worked this out in his head that he wanted the toy. He deserved the toy. And his brother better dang sure give him the toy. Or the consequences, can't, he can't be blamed. And, and what we had to explain and continue to explain to this young man, to this little boy, is that your life will be hammered out on the anvil of your choices. And character necessitates that you embrace and understand that. Uh, the major question that a kid or a boy must answer is this, what is wisdom and foolishness? So as we're talking about this with my son, it's not about behavior, it's about wisdom and foolishness. What's the wise decision here? What's the foolish decision here? So character. Secondly, I want to talk to you of four fundamentals a boy needs is relationships. The first is character. The second is relationships. Look at Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. I think this was my father's favorite verse. Amen. But that rod of discipline, we think of it like uh, a d- discipline from parents, but it, discipline not only comes from parents, it only comes from getting caught and getting punished. The rod of discipline is also, is also a moment of, of, of circumstances disciplining you. Learning, if I do that, this will happen. If I do this, that will happen. Discipline comes not just through punishment, but also comes through consequences. Relationships. Boys need to know about relationships. They need to know how to communicate, speak respectfully, handle conflict. Boys need to know how to forgive and ask forgiveness. They need to know how to control their own selfishness. And by the way, the place where all this is to be learned is the home. It's the home. If you approach your church like it's our job to disciple your kids, you have desperately failed. It is not the church's job to disciple your sons. It is your job to disciple your sons. It is not the church's job to discipline my sons. It's my job to discipline my sons. It's not the church's job to to teach my kids. It's the church's job, listen, to come alongside of me in my efforts. It's our job to assist you, to partner with you for God's glory borne out in the context of your children's lives. So the major question a child or a boy has to answer as it relates to relationships is how do I love others? And it's learned at home. Jesus was asked a question, you know, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And I'm going to summarize his answers. His summary answer to that question, what's the greatest in the law? The summary of the answer is this, is that life is all about relationships with God and with others. And unfortunately, what happens in the context of Christian homes a lot of times is that we teach, hammer home the principles of, of, uh, of discipline and, and hard work and growth. And many times we as men, we're good at showing our boys how to, build a, how to build a birdhouse or swing a hammer or how to throw a baseball or how to catch a football. Or we're really good at teaching them how to do mathematics. But are we good at teaching our sons how to do relationships? How much time do my sons see me hang out with my friends and watch the way men interact with each other? Am I preparing myself, my son, to interact in a relational way, to love others, and to be healthy in his relationships with men and with women? We have that responsibility, gentlemen, is to invest ourselves into their relational health as well. A third area, a third fundamental for boys is identity. Identity. Every little boy must understand, if he is to grow into being a man of God or a courageous man, He must understand that he was made by God on purpose for a purpose. 
at this stage of life, one of the worst things you can communicate to your kid is that he is an accident. And we make jokes like that all the time. Well, your mom and I went on a vacation, and well, here you are. So uh, we weren't planning you, whatever. Else. Like, it might be funny to you and funny to fellow guys, but never, ever, ever communicate to your son that he was not on purpose for a purpose. Communicate to your son or to your child that they don't matter to God and to the world. The communication needs to be to them. You were specially handcrafted by God on purpose for a purpose. He loves you. I love you. You were a gift to this world. Believe that, dear friends. My goodness, it's true. And a lot of times the poor behaviors and the poor things that we do are reflective of what we receive. We'll talk about that a little bit later on the weekend. Is that sometimes the way we were parented, we have this mindset. Well, my dad, da-da-da-da, and I turned out all right. Well, I never got da-da-da-da, and I'm okay today. Well, first of all, I would question your assumptions that you're okay today. (laughs) Amen. And then secondly, you don't apply that to any other part of your life. Any part of your life. Well, my buddy drove his car into a tree, and he's okay, so of course everybody should drive their cars into trees, amen? No, we don't operate in any capacity that way. We must be honest and truthful about the failures and the successes of our predecessors and ours as well. So understand that he was made by God on purpose for a purpose. God can be trusted, the boy must understand, with his obedience and submission. Boys must know they're boys, they're not girls, and they must understand the distinction and difference between those two, but understand the equal value that exists within boys and girls before the Lord. And they must understand that him being a boy, it's a part of God's good plan for the world and for his life. At this stage, a boy must understand that he's a part of a broader family. That not only is he made by God on purpose for a purpose, but he also was made a well-born on purpose for a purpose. So he's a part of our family. He's got a brother. He's got a sister. He's got a mom. He's got a dad. He's got grandparents and nieces and or not nieces and nephews. He's got cousins. He's got aunts and uncles. He's got people in his life. He's a part of a broader community, and he's no important than anybody more important than anybody else in the community that we're all equally valued in the context of our family. He's a part of a community, a neighborhood. He's a part of a world. A boy at this stage is growing masculinity. Needs to be encouraged but also with healthy boundaries. He needs to have the capacity to grow into the things that that excite him, but do so with the careful understanding and guidance that a man can provide. Again, Psalm 139, we read it last night, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it well. We have to remind our children and remind ourselves as we look in our children's faces, they are a masterpiece of this creator, the God of heaven that has revealed himself to us in Christ Jesus. Finally, mission. So the fundamentals of a boy, mission. So we're talking about not just character, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about identity, we're talking about mission. Every little boy can understand, understand that God has a plan for his life. Sometimes, most nights, if I'm home when they go to sleep, I'll climb in bed with my sons, I'll just, in their bunk beds, man, I'll lay down right next to them and we'll start talking. You know God made you on purpose for a purpose. Yeah, I know, Dad, of course. Okay, all right. Did you, what do you think God's going to do with you? Like, what do you, what, do you, what do you think God has in store for your life? Well, dream for a second. What do you think? And, of course, at their stages, it's I'm going to play Major League Baseball. It's going to be, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to Alaska, and I'm going I'm to hunt polar bears, and I'm like, that's against the law. That'll, anyway, nonetheless, 
But we let him dream a little bit. You know, what do you think God's got for you? What do you think he's got for you? What do you think he's going to call you to be, be him do? What do you think? And we'll dream for a bit about that and cast vision for one another. And I'll start telling him, you know what I, I envision for your life? I envision you being a man of God who loves God and loves people. I imagine, I imagine you being the kind of guy that when you walk into a room, everybody in the room is better because you're there. Because you're, you know how to encourage people. You know how to build people up. You know how to help people. You know how to serve people. And I'll start casting vision into his life. Our boys need to understand that God's plan for their lives, listen, listen, guys, listen, please listen to this, that God's plan for their lives is deeper and more impactful than getting a good job and retiring comfortably. There's nothing wrong with getting a good job and retiring comfortably, but please, dear friends, cast a broader vision for your boys than just that. Cast a bigger vision. Invest into their souls a depth and desire to glorify God in a way that's more than just about them and their needs and their family and their stuff and their happiness and their comfort and their safety. Build into them the, the passion and the dream of glorifying God with their life in a way that is, that is edifying to others. The Psalms describe children. I love it in uh, the, the book of Psalms, I believe it's chapter 19, describes children as arrows in the quiver and archer. My dad, y'all helped me to, to this weekend. We're, this is the one-year uh, anniversary of my father's death. So I lost my hero and my mentor a year ago this weekend. Uh, dad would describe this in preaching. He was a pastor, too, and he would, he would talk about his five children. And um, he'd quote the passage from Psalm 19, and he'd, he would make this visual of pulling an arrow out of his quiver and like a bow, and he'd pull it back, and he'd say, I took, I took John, and I shot him to New York City. And he would tell people with such passion and pride about his boy, his little boy, and the ministry God had called me to. He looked at himself that way. His goal for his kids was not for us to buy the house next door and live a comfortable life and retire early. His goal for his children was not selfish, that his grandkids would all be around him all the time. His goal and passion for his children was that we would be sent by God to make a difference in the world, to accomplish kingdom work. And you know what an arrow is designed to do? An arrow is not designed to stay in the quiver. It's not designed to stay in the pack. An arrow is designed to be shot to make an impact in battle against darkness. That's what it's for. And our boys need to see a vision for that, that God has something for them to affect the kingdom of God that is so far beyond just what benefits themselves and their families. So the major question they've got to answer is, why am I here? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to welfare, not evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. And the thing I want to bear in mind about this concept of boyhood for us this morning is, is it's a quote, I don't know who said it, I don't have a, I don't have a source on this, but... It says, a boy without a father figure is like an explorer without a map. A boy without a father figure is like an explorer without a map. Let's say it another way. A boy without a father figure is like you and me on a long road trip without GPS. We don't know where we are, and we don't know where we're going. 
We can't get a handle on this. And so because of that, we're listless and aimless. And that's exactly what a boy is whenever he does not have the presence of a father figure in his life. Either his biological father or if if something's happened and his father's not around, has passed away, something like that. Someone to step into that role and to help him and guide him through that stage of life. I can't imagine what my boyhood would have been like without Alan Wellborn, the godliest man I know, pastoring my home, my mother, my sisters, and my brother and me. Each stage of life was guided by this man of God who God gave me. And we get a chance to be that for our sons, but please look beyond it too and be that as well for others that you know. There's single moms in your church, I promise you, that would kill for a man to step in and provide these resources to their sons. Single moms in your neighborhood that are hungry for somebody to play the role she can't play. And let us men of God be that. Okay, so that's boyhood. Let's talk about adolescence for a moment. Let's talk about adolescence. All right, the next stage, boyhood. I define boyhood as that which that season of life before puberty starts. Okay, so so childhood boyhood. Now let's talk about adolescence from the start of puberty, and it really should be. I say should be, should be to the stage of 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 uh, of, of maturity into the late teens, early twenties. That's the stage of adolescence that I want to deal with next. Okay, so what is adolescence? Adolescence is an incredible time of vulnerability and danger for a young man. What's happening in adolescence? You guys know. I mean, physical changes are drastic, right? You go from never smelling to always smelling, okay? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever taught sixth grade boys Sunday school? Anybody in this room? How in the world do they always smell like beef stew? I don't know. <laughs> they haven't eaten beef stew, but they always smell like beef stew. I have no idea why that's the case. But it's physical changes. They weren't ready for it. They don't know about it, but it's happening. Not only that, there's emotional impulses that are severe. Emotion, anger, uh, weeping, like you don't understand. There's so many moments that happen in this season that these boys don't understand, and, and it's hard for someone outside to understand it too. The peer pressure at this stage is intense. During adolescence, there is nothing worse for a kid than to be made fun of, left out, or to feel weird. Anything that creates weirdness is like, oh, we avoid that at all costs. And because of that, peer pressure becomes extremely powerful. Another thing that happens in adolescence is that consequences for mistakes, it gets ratcheted up. You know what I mean? Like a four-year-old goes ballistic and has a temper tantrum. What's he going to do? Break a window? Is that the worst that could happen? A 14-year-old that weighs 225 pounds, the stakes are raised. They could hurt somebody. They could hurt somebody, they could come into massive, massive levels of consequences, and that's something they have to understand. They're not children anymore. The shame lasts a lot longer in adolescence for mistakes. It's amazing how a little kid, a little boy uh, can, can throw a temper tantrum over an ice cream cone, and you confront him, you work through it, and in a matter of minutes, he's over it. He's forgotten about the whole explosion. Like he's gone from being a little midget demon now to being the sweetest kid you've ever met. In a matter of seconds. And funny thing is, he's not even ashamed about it. Like if you said, do you remember the way you acted five minutes ago? (laughs) They don't care. It's over. Not so with an adolescent. They can grieve over embarrassment and shame for days and days and days. And how we handle that is extremely important. So what uh, what does an adolescent need? Here's two things adolescent needs more than anything else. They need coaching. And they need, listen to me, an example. They need someone who not only will tell them the truth, but they need someone who will model that truth for them. At this stage, if I have presented myself as the perfect example of manhood, that's when my illusion comes crashing down. 
they are going to discover in adolescence just how imperfect their father is. So if you've built up the image that you're always right, you never apologize, you have nothing to apologize for, you're the king of your domain, you always say the right thing, do the right thing, then you are headed for a cliff in adolescence. So you might want to start early being humble as you walk with the Lord every single day. Listen, example in coaching. Here's the difficulty of adolescence. Here's what happens is sons, in the season of adolescence, sons will do one major thing really, really well. They will push. Am I right, guys? Those of you who have adolescent sons, they will push. And one of the things they're going to push, they're going to try to push you out of their life. They're going to try to push you out of the life to establish some level of independence, and they're going to try to have that with their friends, with their peers, with someone else. So they're going to try to push you out of your life in the interest of independence. And here's the way we're wired. Because up until adolescence, our sons wanted us all the time. All my seven-year-old ever wants is for me to go play baseball with them apart. That's all he cares about. Let's go today. Can we do it now? Now? Can we do it now? Son, it's four o'clock in the morning. I'm, having a, I'm sleeping. Like, come on. But he's let now, now, now. Let's do it. And then you get to a stage where all of a sudden that is not the consuming passion of his life. And now it's not playing baseball with you, it's, it's gaming with his friends or something else. And then what happens is you and I, we're insecure on the inside and we're like, oh, well, if he don't want to hang out with me, then okay, I'm finally free, right? And we try to tell ourselves it's okay, but inside we're freaking out. So what happens in a typical relationship with man and an adolescent son is that the boy pushes away and so the man, out of pride, pulls back. He don't care about me. He don't want to be around me. So I'll just make sure, you know, we'll set some boundaries. He'll do his thing. He'll come back someday maybe. So as the boy pushes, pushes back, the man pulls out. And I'm going to make the argument to you, dear friends, that is the worst possible thing we can do for an adolescent son. As the boy pushes back, we understand. What do we define man here yesterday as? As someone who rejects passivity. The worst thing a man can do is nothing, right? And he rejects passivity. So when our sons push back, what do we do? When boys push back, what do we do? Some of you lived this. When you were a teen, you pushed back on your dad, and he pulled out and checked out, and you lost the relationship altogether. You remember a season of being best buddies when you were seven, eight, nine years old, but then all of a sudden your teen years are like a blur. You don't remember anything other than when he finally got angry with you because you did this, or there were discipline moments, or you got bad grades, and that had to be confronted. The only time you saw him when it was time for him to discipline you. And those years were tough because there's a pushback and there's a pullout. But if a real man of God, a man of courage, rejects passivity, that means the right move in this stage of their kid's life is to press in. They push back, you press in. Dennis Rainey, who wrote an incredible book, I mentioned it yesterday, I'll keep mentioning it because it, it unpacks all of this so much more thoroughly. It's called Stepping Up. He writes, without a man in his life to call him up to the next step of manhood, your son will camp out in the adolescent step as long as he can. Now let me give you six fundamentals, and I don't have much time left to do this. So let me give you six fundamentals, six fundamentals of training a young man, an adolescent man. Number one is to reject selfishness and pride. That's number one, reject selfishness and pride. That's where you kind of have to start. Let me say it this way, is that pride is the greatest threat to godly manhood. Your greatest threat to being a godly man is not sexual temptation, it's not pornography, it's not an affair, it's not, it's not deconstruction of your faith. Your greatest threat to being a man of God is your own pride. It's mine too. It's our pride, and that's the very thing that our teenage, adolescent sons are dealing with as well. A prideful man can't be taught anything. A prideful man can't invent fault. A prideful man can't be, responsib can't be responsible. A prideful man can't have healthy relationships. And remember, who's our, who's our role model for a, for, a, for a godly man? Who is it? Is it Donald Trump? No. Is it, is it John Wayne? No. Who's our role model for godly men? 
Who is it? Let's read about it. Philippians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, tell me there. It'll be on the screen. Philippians chapter 2. Let's read about this man of God, this role model that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Start in verse number 3. You ready for this? He writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a foreign concept to the modern man, right? But yet that's the very thing we're commanded to do. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's where I say the single mother mandate, right? Like I love my sons and I teach my sons, but how have I broadened the perspective of what I'm investing in my own kids to bring somebody else along who may need it? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in, say it with me, Christ Jesus. Whose mind are we modeling? Say it with me, Christ Jesus. Who was selfless more than anybody else? Say it with me. Christ Jesus. If he is the man above all men and the one we are to model our lives after, then he must be preeminent. And it is his mindset. What did Jesus do? Well, he was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus had all authority, all power, every right to say, serve me, worship me, honor me, elevate me, put me on a pedestal, make me a king, give me a crown, let me rule, let me be in control. Jesus had every right to demand everything the world could offer. But what did he do? Emptied himself. Emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. I would like to say that's the standard, right? If my family demands of me that I miss the game, if my family expects from me and needs from me that I work extra hours to provide for them, if my family demands from me that I be emotionally available and put aside my own pride and desire to check out and press in, no matter what my family or what the people around me expect or need from me, it certainly is not a crucifixion on a Roman cross. Amen? And if Jesus can endure that, then as a, a servant of the Lord and someone modeling his manhood after the manhood of Christ and not the manhood of, of Aaron Judge <laughs> or whomever we put on that pedestal, then that means it's appropriate. But look at what God did. God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see this, dear friends? Jesus humbled himself and God exalted him. Our propensity is to exalt ourselves and then God has to humble us. Have you found that to be true? Our propensity to say, put me on a pedestal. Look at what I deserve. Look at how I've, I've accomplished these great things. And then all of a sudden, God has to humiliate us through various forms. So six fundamentals of training a young man. The first is rejecting selfishness and pride. Secondly is application of wisdom. Are we teaching our kids, our teenagers, how to resolve conflict? Are we teaching them common courtesies? How to communicate to someone with honor. Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so. Communicate with honor. Respect women. Our sons must understand how to communicate and interact with girls in an honoring way. How to resist temptation that is ravishing their hearts and their minds. They are consumed with temptation that is so very vivid and powerful. I'm talking about lust. I'm talking about greed. I'm talking about idolatry, lying, stealing, cheating. Are we teaching our boys how to handle success? Are we teaching them how to handle failure? One of the reasons I like youth sports, not the kind of youth sports that take over their lives and dominate our family and keep us away from church for six months at a time. Can I get a witness? 
That's not the kind of youth sports I'm talking about. I'm talking about local rec league youth sports where they practice once a week, they have a game once a week, and then what happens when they lose? Are they yelling at the umpire like their parents are? Or are they accepting defeat and understanding that I have responsibility in where this came and how this handed up and I could do better next time so I'll work on me irrespective of if the umpire can see or not? <laughs> How do they do when they win? Are they taunting? Are they aggressive? Are they making fun of others? Come on, teach responsibility. Helping others. Number three, a relationship with their father. When they push the dad out, we must lean in. Here's the thing. If my son <clears throat> is pushing me away, I don't lean in with the stuff I like. Come on, son, let's go sit and read the church fathers together. Let's go sit under the tree. You take Athanasius, and I'll I'll, I'll take uh, I'll, I'll take uh, I don't know Anselm. Like, and let's get together, and we'll just read these. Maybe in the original languages. How's your Latin these days? I'm not inviting him into my space when I press in because my son's pushing back. It's what are you into? What are you into? Fortnite? Can I play? I'll play with you. I'll let you beat me. You know, come on, let's do it together. What are you into? You're into running. My son did track for a while. I hate running. I played football and baseball growing up. Running was a punishment, right? If you jumped off sides, you ran a mile. I hate running. I hate running. Right? You took strike three down the middle, you got to run foul poles. That's the way it was. But my son, he likes to run. So if I'm pressing in, what am I doing? I'm putting on my stinking running shoes and hacking and coughing like I've been smoking for 50 years and jogging around the block. I'm leaning in for him, not for me, for him. What is he into? Step into that. Step into that. Step into that. Another thing with the relationship factor is my son needs to hear me say, I'm sorry. They got to hear that from my lips. Because again, I can look like a king. I'm bigger than them. I pay the bills, you know. Like, not only that, they come to a church where I'm the pastor. I stand on the stage. I preach to hundreds of people every week. Like, it looks like I'm always right. It looks like I'm always the one that knows what to do. And I'm those kind of things. He needs to see what happens when dad messes up. He needs to hear me say to his mother, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. These are relationship factors with Father. Not only that, start early. Start early. Start as early as you can with these boys. Um, for my seven-year-old, we talk about puberty. Even for the seven-year-old, we talk about attraction to the opposite sex. We talk about what sexual maturity is going to look like. What happens when you get hair in weird places? What happens when you start to smell? What happens when you grow a foot in a week and you're stumbling over everything? What, how, why is that? Are you weird or is that like everybody goes through that? Because they don't know. They need to know too. Their friends don't know jack about sex. They got to know that because they're afraid to talk to us. Then they'll get information where they can get it. And their friends are so jacked up. And many of their friends are learning about sex from pornography. Got serious in here for a second there. I talked to my boys about erections, about masturbation, about wet dreams, about lust, about pornography. And we'll talk about porn a little bit more in a minute before we dismiss. But uh, pornography, most of our kids see it before the age of 10 now. Before the age of 10, they've been exposed to hardcore pornography. You say, well, we locked down his phone. Oh, really? Did you lock down every phone in the third grade? Did the other parents of the third graders also let you lock their phones down? No, if not, then he's seen it. He's seen it. And many teenage boys and girls are addicted to pornography before they turn 18 years old. They've chased it. I'm going to get back to that in just a minute. Let me finish this concept. But start early. Start early dealing with these things. Don't wait to react. Be proactive proactive in these areas. Hey, as I'm talking, I'm talking mostly to the large group of you that stood up moment, uh, yesterday that are fathers in this room. I'm talking mainly to you and to me because that's where we are. But listen, you may be past that stage or not in that stage right now. Remembering yourself, 
Like, what did you have? What did you not have? And how's it affected you today? Sometimes bad patterns are just learned. And if you can realize, my dad missed, he missed the mark on this point. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. It's not, my father's the godliest man I've ever known. Sometimes his physical discipline bordered on abuse. And we talked about it in his latter years. And I can honor his legacy while saying, this is an area that he missed it. But he grew up as a farmer's kid in North Carolina, and that's the life he led. That's what he took from his father into his life. And here's the thing, guys, if I can give you nothing more about your father issues, hear me when I say this. Let your father off the hook. He did the best he could. That was worth some of you coming this weekend. Start early. Another thing is put together a team. Don't try to do this by yourself. Your boys need to see godly, mature men. I love the fact that my kids know Mr. Mo. I love it. I love the fact they interact with Mr. Rick and Mr. Jed. These are the guys I brought from Salem, in case you're wondering. That my kids know them. They respect them. They watch them. They're observant of them. They want to know if what dad's teaching is really true or if it's just something that's weird about dad. So I want my kids to know my friends. I want them to spend time with them because I need a team of people. I need eyes on my boys. I know that if they did something stupid in front of Rick, Rick's going to tell me. Rick's probably going to tell them, but he's also going to tell me. And so we got a team of people doing this together. And then finally, don't let them linger. One of the greatest challenges of adolescence is extended adolescence. You say, well, how does a man end up 40 years old living in his mom's basement without a job? Well, he just never graduated from adolescence. <laughs> Nobody ever pushed him like a bird being pushing the chick out of the nest saying it's time to fly. And in all reality, there comes a time when you have to absolutely put your foot down. But it's not just in that moment. It's preparing them for this next season of life and discipling them to it. Listen, if you're, I'm 40. How many of you are 40 and older? Hands raised. 40 and older. Okay. Look at me real quick. You can put your hands down. If you looked at pornography as a teenager, most likely somebody had to go to a store and buy it. They had to go through the humiliating process of going to a gas station or to a store and standing there with money and praying nobody they knew walked in while they were buying it, right? That's how we found it, right? 40 and younger, hands up. 40 and younger. You guys didn't have to go to the store and buy it. It was readily available on your computer screen. It was readily available on your phones. It was readily available. And the thing is, it's, it's been a game changer. Pornography is warping the minds of our children, especially our boys. These boys have access to it on their fingertips, and it's warping their brains. Recent statistics say that 87% of American men have, men have looked at pornography in the last few months. 87%. 87%. We're talking about a, 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 a pandemic of epic proportions where minds are being warped and manipulated by this thing called pornography, and it's devastating, guys. I, I liken it like this. When a child discovers pornography at a young age, and they begin to have access to it and go back to it and go back to it and go back to it, it, it has an effect on the brain. Now, I'm not a psychologist. My wife is studying to be one, and so I get a lot of the stuff she's studying just secondhand. But one of the things that I'm picking up on as I'm reading on my own is it's almost like, like can you ever trust your 7-year-old to put down the bag of Cheetos can you? He will eat it and eat it and eat it and eat it until he gets sick. And after he throws up, he'll get another bag of Cheetos, right? Am I telling the truth? The same principle applies to pornography. Children don't have the ability to regulate their brains as it relates to pleasure. 
And so what they're doing is they're consuming this at an insane level. And before long, it's not just a woman in a bathing suit that I've got to look at. It's not just a, a naked woman. It's, it's more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And just like the Cheetos, they can't turn it off. And so by the time they reach maturity, they've got a, a path, like a game trail. You hunters in the room, you know about a game trail. It's the trail that the game walk every day, the deer, the bear, the whatever. They've created a game trail in their mind based on the dopamine hits of the excitement of pornography, and they go to it over and over and over and over again. It affects the way they relate to women. It affects the way they relate to their friends. It affects the way they see God. It affects everything about them. It's warping the minds of young people. And some of you know that because your marriage has suffered for the fact that you have a pornography addiction. Your marriage has suffered for the fact that you've been victimized by this reality. It's not only teens. I read this morning that 56% of divorce proceedings in the UK use the term hardcore pornography. 56% of divorce proceedings reference this reality. Can I give you a word of encouragement before I wrap it up and I'll let you go? This is the heavy session, okay? Come back tonight. It'll be a little bit less heavy. This is the heavy one, okay? Sunday morning, Saturday morning, we got our coffee. The Braves won, so everybody's good. Everybody's happy. We're going to talk about something heavy. Tonight, we'll jump into some, some of the next stage of, of, of manhood. But I love the word the Apostle Paul gives us in the context of temptation. First, Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Is it up here? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I love this passage. Okay, we're talking about pornography and how, how pervasive it is. Paul notes that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Lust is not new. You know that, right? Like the mechanism of lust is new. The internet, you know, sexting, Instagram, Snapchat. Like that's new. But lust is not new. Jesus dealt with it. The patriarchs dealt with it. You, you read the Old Testament, you'll understand that sexual immorality is just about man's original sin. But here we go. Notion is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. A couple things that I take from this passage. One is that there's a commonality to it. So one of the greatest things we can do if we struggle with this issue of pornography and lust, or really any issue we struggle with, is to find a brother we can share it with. Because some of you are sitting here by yourself in the prison of your own mind thinking, I am the only one. When in fact you are not the only one. Odds are somebody beside you right now, in front of you, behind you right now, is or has struggled with the same issue. And the devil's going to do everything he possibly can to convince you that you're weird, you're jacked up, you can't be helped, nobody understands, your situation is unique, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says this temptation is common to man. And God won't let you be tempted above your ability, but he's providing you a way of escape. And many times the way of escape out of temptation and out of sin is a brother, a fellow follower of Jesus, to come alongside and say, I've been in that pit before and I know how to get out. The question was, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done? Some of you, it's going to be what the most courageous thing you need to do, and that is to come clean about your pornography issue. To finally open up to a brother, to a pastor, to a friend, and give them the opportunity to help you in the midst of this challenge because godly men work together. That's what we do. That's what we do. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Let it all be done in love. As we talked about before in Ephesians 2, right? We've been quickened. We've been made alive together in Christ Jesus. That's our position in Christ Jesus. We've been saved not by works, but by grace through faith. God's been good to us. Amen? 
And what is the, what is the road? What is the, what is the work? What is the, the path that God has prepared that we should walk in it? His path for us is that we be godly men. We be godly men for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of our children, for the sake of our spouses, for the sake of our communities. Let us be godly men who walk in his direction. So here's the, the fundamental question. Last night's was, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done? I hope you're having that conversation in your groups or around the coffee bars or wherever you go. Here's the second question. Did you have someone to model godly manhood for you when you were a boy and a teenager? And if so, who was it and what made it so helpful? If not, what do you think you struggled with as a result of it? Okay, so here's the fundamental question we're talking about today. Did you have a godly example as a man in your life? If so, who was it and what did they do for you? And if not, what do you think you missed out on? What do you think you struggled with as a result of it? If you're with me, say, "Uh uh-huh. You got that? We're going to have that conversation today? Okay, we'll come back tonight. I'll do a little test, see who actually talked about it today, okay? Let me pray for you, and then we're going to go play some cornhole, okay? Father, I love you, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you for the fact that, that in Christ Jesus, those who are far off are made near. Lord, I thank you for your incredible grace and gospel that gives us the, the, the knowledge, God, that no matter where we struggle, no matter how far we fall, we are accepted by you because of Christ Jesus, and we can be forgiven, and we can be restored. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to talk a bit about what boys need and what teenagers need. God, I thank you, Father, for, for the blessings and the benefits of, of guidance in those seasons of life. I thank you for my own father, and God, I look forward to seeing him again someday in the future. But for now, for these men, for us, for as a group here at the men's retreat at Camp Spofford, let us be real and honest about our pasts, where we've failed, where we've missed, and where we've we've been hurt. And let us give that to you and experience the wholeness and the healing you can bring And God, give us clarity on what it means to be not just a male, an XY chromosome male human, not just a man, but God, a courageous, godly man. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless.